Hello and welcome to the Marketing Automation Discussion. I'm your host, Benjamin Bowman. Today, we are talking about client onboarding automation with James Rose. James is the founder of Content Snare, a platform that helps digital agencies and web designers get content from their clients. Together with James, we talk about how to map and start automating your workflow, the common mistakes and issues that people run into, the metrics you need to monitor to make sure that your automations are running smoothly, and the routine for keeping on top of your automations. And with that, let's get to the podcast. All right, James, great to have you on the show. Ben, good to be here. Cool. So just before we get started, do you mind giving us a quick introduction to yourself and your background? Yeah. So, I mean, it depends how far back you want to go, but I used to be an engineer. <laughs> so we're going back that far when I still had a job. But yeah, now we ended up creating a software business, me and one of my senior managers at the time. And I mean, fast forward 10 years, that's how long we've been in business. We've, we've had three software products and we had a digital agency in the middle as well, doing kind of marketing and web design was probably our main thing. And now yeah, we just focus on Content Snare, which is our software product for you know, client onboarding and collecting information from clients. That's, I guess, the, the main thing I tell people. It always depends who I'm talking to and how I describe it because <laughs> not everyone can sort of gel with every you know elevator pitch. We've got several elevator pitches. Cool. So today I wanted to chat a little bit more about something that's probably very much in your wheelhouse based on Content Snare, which is onboarding automation. But as part of jumping into this, I'm curious to know, do you think there's any particular type of industry or user type who should pay more attention versus others? So primarily agencies, for example, but Mm. are there some agencies that are going to get more out of this than other agencies? I think most agencies can benefit a lot from onboarding automation. I guess the higher volume you have, the more automation makes sense. You know, if you're a highly boutique agency, you only take on a few projects a year that are really, you know, high revenue projects, you're not going to benefit as much from automation. But if you're doing, you know, lots and lots of projects or, you know, you're a small agency where people are wearing a lot of hats and there's a lot of task switching going on, you know, which is classic productivity killer. So, you know, if if you can automate some things, it can reduce the amount of time you spend in task switching. Yeah, so smaller agencies or higher volume, for sure. Makes sense. From your experience, do you have a sort of approach or a framework for tackling the project as a whole? How do you go about it, really? Yeah, that's really dependent on if I'm working with a client or, you know, my own business. You know, I always say with automation, it, it becomes a, it's like a snowball, right? Like you start, you build up a little bit of knowledge kind of understand how things work and you automate some things and it just it builds on itself you come up with more ideas and then you know you kind of just think of things you know you don't really have to plan out these big automation projects because it's just incremental changes but if i'm working with a client to actually build like a whole new automation system or a whole bunch of stuff you know for an onboarding process it's usually just a matter of stepping through the agency's process or, you know, any business of working with a music class, like like multiple instructors, whatever, you know, the process is the same. It's what happens, what's the initial contact from your client? 
how do they contact you? What are the different ways they reach out to you? And then what's the next thing? Like, how do you, do you send them a proposal? What's the next step? And literally just walking through every single step that a client will go through. You know, if we're talking onboarding, yeah, we might stop when, you know, in the music example, it might be when the person gets to their first class. It's no longer onboarding maybe. In an agency world, it's when the project starts. But, you know, Automation doesn't stop there. You can do client offboarding. You can automate during the project. But yeah, it's literally just mapping out every single step of the process that the client goes through because that gives you a good overview. You know, it can find, you can start identifying the biggest blockages and that kind of thing. And there's varying levels of detail here too. You know, you can just put a dot point list together with some sub bullets, you know, but on the really, I guess, awesome end of things people do flow charts you know that i've had a client where every time a client sends me a flow chart it's like oh my gosh like this is amazing they've like said if the if the client does this here there's an arrow yeah and they like point back to the previous step and but if the client did this then they go over to this step i'm like oh my god this is this is what i need (laughs) that's awesome speaking of flow charts do you use any particular tool to map this out or would you use Mm -hmm. excel as an example yeah, flowcharts right now I'm playing with, well, I've been using Miro for a while, M-I-R-O, and I've been testing out Whimsical a bit as well. I like both for different reasons. Whimsical is quite constraining, but Miro is probably a bit harder to use. But for basic flowcharts, Whimsical is amazing. It's super fast. Yeah. I haven't tried Whimsical yet, but I am a big fan of Miro. It's a little bit mm. creepy sometimes when you can see other people using the same flowchart. But I guess that's the big, yeah. <laughs> that's the big sell. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So once you've mapped out the overall onboarding process, what do you suggest is the next step? This is always the hardest part with automation is getting started. <laughs> because people, you know, if, if you're engaging an automation consultant, it's another story. But a lot of people I talk to, they just want to learn how to automate themselves, right? So it is super overwhelming, when you first start with automation, because there are just so, so many things, so many possibilities. And, you know, how, how do you choose where to start and how do you even know what's possible? You know, that, that's the biggest thing. People often don't understand what even can be automated. So some of my most popular content is literally just spewing ideas of different things that can be done with a tool like Zapier or Integromat, you know, and then they go, wow, I did not know that was possible. And, you know, and I, I, the same, I consume other people's content, which is just ideas because it's always, you're always learning new things. And as you learn what kind of workflows are possible, you start joining the dots, you know, like a simple example that everyone can start with is when a new contact form is submitted, add them to your CRM. You know, even if your contact form tool does not integrate with your CRM directly, you use a tool like Zapier to plug them in. You know, and once people realize that, it's like, oh, cool. Like, I wonder what else, what other data I can move around. So a place I often recommend people start is just trying to develop an understanding of what's possible. And the, the easiest way to do that is to go to zapier.com. And in the header, there's, they change this all the time. So Hopefully, it's going to be up to date when people uh, hear this. But there's usually something in the header like explore or apps or something like that. Right now, it says, yeah, there's an explore in the header. And there's popular ways to use Zapier, apps that work with Zapier and explore Zapier by job role. So I like to just go to the app screen and start typing in apps that you already use in your process. So if you're using like PandaDocs or better proposals for proposals, type that in and see what triggers and actions are available. 
you know, if you're using whatever CRM you're using, type that in active campaign, for example, you can see, you know, what triggers and actions there are. And, you know, it, for people very unfamiliar with automation, the simplest automation is just a trigger and an action. So when this happens, do this. When someone fills out a contact form, add them to my CRM. When someone signs my proposal, create a project in my project management system, you know, so you can start joining those dots for really basic automations. So that's probably the best place to start. In that same menu, there's the popular ways to use Zapier as well. And I mean, that'll just throw ideas at you independent of what apps you're using. You sort of can filter or whatever, but you can just have a read of what kind of things are automatable. Yeah, makes sense. So I guess you're sort of looking at the overall process and then doing a bit of research around what is possible to automate or how it could be possibly automated. Yeah, and it is like it's there's no exact process here, especially for someone that's just starting out with automation. You know, if someone's familiar with Zapier, they you know, this is probably gonna be a little bit basic to do all of that stuff. Like sometimes it's really just jumping in to a new workflow, you know, whether it's in Zapier or another tool and going, okay, so when my proposal signs, so you add the trigger and then you test it and you see what data comes in from the proposal and you go, okay, so I can I can see here that I've got the client's name, email, and the date signed and how much they paid or whatever of the deposit. Like, where do I want that information to go? Do I want to push that into my CRM? Do I want to create a project? Like, and then you just start adding actions. You know, that's honestly hands-on is, is the easiest, well, not the easiest, but it's probably the best way to learn because you can look at, you know, recipes and formulas for automations all day but when you're actually in there adding automations that's when you build your knowledge and you actually start joining dots like you go oh wait now that i've got this information i could push that over here so yeah that's that's where i recommend starting yeah unless you sort of learn during the process that an automation you created earlier has been sending rogue emails to lots of different people (laughs) as part of the process that didn't intend i think everyone's been there at some point (laughs) Yeah, it's probably one of the biggest reservations people have with automation is, you know, how do I know what's happening? And I mean, we can get into that too. I don't know if you want to talk about that now or later, but there are ways to sort of check in on your automations and make sure they're they're working. It, again, it depends heavily on what tool you're using, but, you know, I'm probably going to gravitate towards Zapier a lot here just because it's one of the easier ones for people to learn who are just starting out. Yeah, makes sense. In terms of all the things you can automate, do you have any rule of thumb that you use to prioritize these or is it a bit organic? It is a bit organic. You know, you'll, you'll learn just in the process of running your business, you kind of learn where the roadblocks are and that's generally where you want to focus. You know, if something is annoying the hell out of you, you like if you're avoiding doing a certain task because you just hate it or it, you notice that it's taking a lot of your time, or your team's time as well. You know, that's, that's it's really important to talk to your team about where their time is, is being spent, whether you track time or not, you can get that kind of feedback. It's a f- fuzzy way to, to prioritize things, but sometimes I'll just make a spreadsheet and see, like, guesstimate ratings. You know, it's not like, oh, I am losing exactly 57 minutes a week to this thing. It's no, like, I think, you know, on a rating of one to five, how much time are we losing doing this repetitive task over and over? How annoying do I find it? <laughs> you know, just classic waiting system. I use that for pretty much anything, even when we're prioritizing new That's features for our product. Yeah, you just, you know, and it's not an exact science, but it, it gives you something to go on rather than just gut feel. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So let's take an example of a marketing agency. I'm having dealt with a lot of them. Uh, you may have an example profile that's very common 
how would you suggest they go about this process in practice? So as an example, you'd say, okay, first step is you're going to map out these three things and then you're going to look at this. Yeah. So I think the, ba- the most basic one for most companies is going to be from the initial contact form, right? And so creating, I like the idea, and this is what we did in our agency is, is souping up our contact form a little bit, or, you know, this might be, the initial contact form might be something really simple, like name, email, message, whatever. And then, then you might ask them if they're asking for a website, you push them to another slightly longer form with more questions on it. And that is a really good spot to start weeding out bad clients. You know, so this isn't, again, this isn't necessarily Zapier related. This is just like sort of process related, but you know, if you jump straight on a call with someone, you could waste an hour of your time and just find out they're a bad client. Right. But so to me, just using, you can sort of make that process a bit more streamlined just by sending them to a, a short form first that might have some red flags questions. You're asking them what they want on their website, asking them, you know, budgets, timeframes, that kind of thing. So typical tools we might use for, I mean, forms tools are all over the place, but gravity forms is what we used. It's a WordPress based one. Could be type form, could be jot form. There's there's loads of these things out there. I mean, people use content snare for this kind of thing as well for initial questionnaires. Depends how long the form is. If you expect them to do it pretty quick, a, a conventional forms tool is good. If it's a longer form, you might want to use content snare. Questions about budget are a big one, you know, and, and timeframes, how long, you know, till you want to go live. These can start weeding out people really quickly and noticing just the, like the communicate, the way they communicate when they're answering questions can also be a really big red flag. And, you know, at that point you can say, Hey, we're not a good fit, whatever. You might refer them to someone else. If they've got too, too small budget, you know, if it's out, outside of your wheelhouse, you might have someone to refer them to, but that's like such a simple, you know, it's quote unquote automation, but it's not technically automation, but like saying no to people is one of the best productivity hacks there is, right? Like saying, but not taking on projects or clients that you think are going to be problematic. So saying no more often. Do you ever knock people out automatically based on the form answer? So you take them to a thank you page that says, hey, sorry, we're not a fit. Have you ever seen that? I have seen it. I haven't done it. There, you know, some people even do like automatic quote generation in these tools. So something like any forms tool that's got calculations, you can turn things on and off. You know, like, so, so if they turn on, it's an example, like e-commerce, if they want e-commerce, it's an e-commerce site, how many products, you know, they select a number of how many products they've got and you can sort of generate an estimate based on that so with those kind of things you might actually have people self-select out you know if they add some things on they're like oh look the the budget for this is calculated to be like 15 grand that's way out of our range you might have them self-select you know and if if you could say if they have if they type in a certain budget that's under a certain amount yeah you auto reject them i've seen that for many agencies i think that's a bit overkill though like you don't Unless you're doing crazy volume, which for, for agencies who get their leads through SEO, that can be a real problem. You know, a lot of tire kickers that they just don't want to deal with. And yeah, auto rejection might make sense then. But you can also, you know, there's a, you don't have to 100% automate things. I always talk about automation assisted personalization. You know, you could create a draft email that is a rejection email that's like pre-populated with some of the things that they wrote in the form. And then all you have to do is write the last couple of things, you know, so it's just a draft. You go into your Gmail, you type up some personalization and send it. So it took you a lot less time than typing it from scratch. So it's somewhat automated, semi-automated, but, you know, you're still 
getting that level of personalization, which can be nice for clients, you know, like the, just because you're rejecting someone doesn't mean they won't be able to refer someone else to you later. So I think it's, it's worth being somewhat personal where you can. It's just if you're doing high volume, that's the only time I'd potentially reject people automatically. Gotcha. Makes sense. Okay, so we've we've had the initial inquiry and we're on our way to fully onboarded. What would you say is the next major point of automation opportunity? Yeah, so the initial call, this is, uh, I mean, you can't really automate a call. I get that, but you can make so there's things around the call. So obviously booking times, you know, you're using, if you're not using a system like Calendly at this point, I mean, everyone should be. I love Calendly because it's so simple from the client's perspective, which is really, really, really important. As you know, we our product, Content Snare, is you know, people send information requests to their clients. So to get, you know, website content or whatever. We've learned how insanely easy things have to be for the end user when they're not tech savvy. I've got a new appreciation for how simple things really need to be. Because some people use calendar forms that are just they're a little bit harder to use than Calendly and they're just like, oh, well, clients will work it out, you know, but sometimes they won't. So that's why I really love Calendly. I think it's the easiest system out there. Um, you know, there's plenty of other tools coming out now, but I just, I stick with Calendly because I think it's the easiest. But then during the call, one of my favorite automations here is just using a tool like otter.ai, which can sit alongside Zoom, for example, and just transcribe. Otter will actually transcribe on the fly. You can get other ones that'll, you know, you can send the recording after. I think that's something that not enough people do because, I mean, and I've found this in my own work that there's always something I want to refer back to in that call. Like, what did they say about that thing? I forgot to take a note. So having that transcript there is really good. So otter.ai or any other, you know, Descripts, that you can upload it to after the fact. I want you to upload the audio and get the transcription. I think that's a really good form of automation because then you don't have to be so annoying with taking notes during the meeting. So that's probably the next step. Do you find the sending of the transcript helps with the conversion of that client? You know, it gives it a little bit of a boost or it doesn't really matter other than the future reference? Yeah, no, I've only ever used it as future reference. I mean... It's a good point. I've never really thought about sending it to the client as well. I've never even offered it to them. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't have an answer to that one. Sorry. Yeah, fair. Cool. So we've got something like JotForm or Gravity Forms to take in the initial inquiry, perhaps even generate a proposal. I think JotForm has the calculation in there as well. And then you're using a booking tool like Calendly to get the time synced up in the easiest way possible. Then during the meeting, I guess you'll be recording it so that you can put it through Descript or otter.ai. What would you say is the next step from there? Yeah, so generally people move to some kind of briefing or maybe direct to the proposal at this point. You know, everyone's process is slightly different, so it's kind of hard to say, you know, this is the next step. But when it comes to briefing and scoping projects, I mean, the easiest, what I used to do was simply a price list. You know, having a lot of people are just kind of, if you're going to price out a project, it takes a lot of time unless you have packages you're going to put someone in or a price list that you can quickly refer to and just go, you know, they've asked for e-commerce with, with 1,000 products, give or take. You know, it's got this, these features on the website, whatever. Then you can create proposals really, really fast or you can you know, outsource that 
to a VA or just someone else on your team. So that's, I mean, really in the briefing stage or the scoping stage. Obviously, productization is massive here. If you can have like packages you push people into or, you know, some kind of retainer for marketing, for example, like SEO or whatever, like that, that's the ultimate level of, it's not so much automation, but like, you know, it allows you to automate a lot on the back of that if you have standard packages. Obviously, not everyone can do that if you're doing bespoke projects, but I mean, productization is a whole topic in itself. So I just kind of want to mention it here before <laughs> before moving on to the next next step. I guess uh, in you know the the ne- and the next step is generally the proposal, no matter what, right? So if it's productization, you can probably send them a standard proposal without you know your standard terms, what what they're getting in the package, and that can be sent automatically if you've set them up with a certain package, and you know then the you just send them the same proposal that everyone gets. They can sign it, take the deposit right then and there. So that's a you know a big one. I've seen agencies, and we used to do this as well, where you get the proposal signed and then you send the initial deposit invoice you know, with a tool like Xero or QuickBooks, and then you got to wait for that to happen. It is so much easier if you just take that payment, that deposit right then and there when they sign the proposal. You know, for them to accept it, they have to pay the deposit by credit card. That's like such a small little tweak, but God, it makes a difference get paid faster and he can get started faster. And I haven't had any resistance to it, actually. You know, that was what a lot of people sort of have reservations that the client might sort of bulk at having to pay it right then and there, but I haven't actually had that yet. So been a really nice little tweak that we've made. If you still do need to do the whole invoice thing in zero, that's where Zapier can come in. So you can say when a proposal signed, automatically create and send an invoice in zero. You know, some people prefer to do that because they keep all their invoices together in one system but you can still add automation there so you know one someone doesn't have to manually notice that a proposal's been signed where they get the email and they have to go over into zero and set up another invoice and whatever send it to the person you can do all that you know instantly with zapier and you could even have a thank you page on your proposal that says hey now go and check your email we've just sent you an invoice to pay before we can get started so the more you know if you can get that process kicking along without intervention because you know with time zones especially if you're working with people in other countries you might not see that the proposal's been signed till 12 hours later and there were more you know 24 hours and then you got to send it and then might be another half a day before they see it and pay the deposit whereas that could all happen in one go this is the next one that proposal deposit sequence is a really good spot to automate do you recommend any tools like quilla for example a nicer local tool there to take that deposit along with the proposal yeah, I haven't used Quilla. I personally use Better Proposals because I've had that for years at this point. Uh, and I know the founder. PandaDoc's another great option. I like PandaDoc is really nice in the fact that you can, it's got placeholders in documents. So you can basically type in, gosh, I think it's square brackets or is it squiggly brackets, curly brackets? You know, you can put those like a, a word in curly brackets anywhere in the proposal and then actually automatically populate that with Zapier. So that is really handy if you want to create templated proposals with levels of personalization in there. Better proposals can do it, but it's only for like the company name, client name, and a couple of things, I think. I'm pretty sure. Don't quote me on that. But PandaDoc, I know for sure you could put in all kinds of placeholders. You know, so you could use Zapier to pull in information from your CRM. You know, you could anything you've previously collected on this client and stored in that in the CRM, you could pull that information out of your CRM and automatically populate the invoice. So that's a, you know, depends what tool you're using. That's not going to be possible with all of them, but those are the two I've played with extensively. Yeah, very fair. So once you've got the deposit 
I suppose you'd be looking to get into the meat of it, which is kicking off the project. Just for reference, do you have any agreements and so on that you send alongside the proposal that you try to get signed off as well, or that's included in the proposed document? Yeah, we've always just included it in the proposal. I know I've seen that actually where people send a contract and a proposal. And I mean, I'm no lawyer and I'm definitely don't know the law across the world. But as far as I understand, there's nothing wrong with doing them together. They If they can accept the, the pricing and the, the terms and conditions and everything all in one go, to me, that's a better experience for everybody. You don't have to get two things signed and your clients only got to do one, do it once, you know. So that's something I've, I've ever sent a single proposal. I've never split it up. Yeah, you've not seen any difference in the conversion, I suppose, unless you tested sending them separately versus one document. Yeah, look, I don't, I don't know how that actually goes because I haven't done the testing. I mean, at this point of the project, you probably it's probably going to be fine. I don't imagine it'd be a significant impact on conversions. However, it's just going to delay things. And time is money. It's a very cliche, but it's true. And especially with agencies, you know, if you can get the turnaround time of a project down by a few weeks, that's really significant. You turn over more projects, you make more money generally, you know, less less idle time, less task switching. And, you know, I've, I've spoken to friends that have, got their turnaround time from 12 weeks down to eight weeks you know and it's made a huge difference to their business and and the way that's done is small little things like this you know if you're sending two documents you might have to chase that second one up for a few days and if you don't want to start work until that's signed you know especially if it's a contract that's wasted time and you have to chase them up you know to me it's just an efficiency thing to send it as one document absolutely so once you've got this all signed off in a similar position i would just send a, mm. a welcome email together with a, a checklist of all the things that I would need to start the project. What would be a smarter way to do this? Yeah, so this is probably my favorite part of the whole thing. Just automating client setup is like, it's awesome, man. Like there's so many things you can do. Like the, the way to start this workflow differs. So, you know, you might say when someone signs their proposal, that's when we kick all of this off. You know, we start, we create drive folders. We'll get into this shortly. You know, but the problem with that is you might not have all the information you need. Like, you know, in the proposal, the trigger in the automation tool might not tell you enough about the project to go on to be able to actually go and create it in, you know, ClickUp or whatever project management system you're using. There might need to be some manual intervention there. And that's where I like a sort of a, a semi automated process again is using a form, an internal form that only you, you or your team use to trigger workflows. So you don't have to think about this in terms of, you know, when someone, when something happens in one tool, do this in another, like when, when the proposal signed, create the project, you can just say when someone submits my jot form or whatever form tool you're using, start this process. And that process can do things like, you know, maybe we've already created that invoice from when they signed the proposal. If not, you might want to create it here. You could create a Slack channel. Some agencies like to have a new Slack channel for each client or each project. So you could automatically create that Slack channel and invite the right people to it in your team. That's all can be done automatically with Zapier. Creating folders in Google Drive. Most projects will be a typical folder structure and maybe even some standard files. So you could create an automation that creates all the folders for that. The client moves the right files in there, whether it's like spreadsheets or whatever, whatever you need for every project, you might move that in. Create setting up a project in project management. That's you know, pretty pretty standard. It might be 
you know, if you're using ClickUp or any project management system that has templates, that this is like the best use case for templates ever. You could, you know, we had, when we were doing web design projects, pretty much all of them followed the same skeleton structure, you know? So we would create a, an entire project with based on a previous template, you know, with a, in a, you know, we were doing it manually then we weren't automating it, but you can do the same thing in Zapier. You could say, you know, use this project template, create a new project. Here's the client's name. And here's what we, you know, here's the project manager, here's the designer and it automatically assign all those tasks to that role. So this is all done on one form fill or one proposal accepted, right? Creating the folders, creating the Slack channel, creating uh, the invoice, creating project management. (laughs) I I don't know. This is one of my favorite parts of the the whole onboarding process. And of course, you know, this is a little bit of a self-plug here, but there's always some kind of information exchange with a client. You know, there's in web design... You know, it's probably it could be website content, it's gonna be logos, design assets, whatever, marketing, it's probably going to be some, you know, what describe what your product does, blah, blah, blah. You know, whatever information you need from people, that any service business struggles with this, getting information from clients. Accountants need documents, you know, they might need last year's tax return and like ID stuff, you know, finance people struggle with this. Like every every service business needs information from clients and the typical way to do it is send off an email and go hey mr client here's all the stuff that i need and that turns into turns into a mess <laughs> yeah it turns into a mess so fast when clients reply with like one attachment per email they'll blast you with the death by attachments they'll send 15 emails in a row um, yeah. <laughs> with one attachment each and and you know they'll reply in line to each question in the email with like red text and that's okay if it's only once but if they get sent something wrong you need to s- reply and be like item five can you fix this and blah 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 and nick you got oh man multi-threads as well is also the oh cool. yeah man I, I had this the other day where i was digging through five separate threads with you know 10 emails in each i've seen gmail threads so long that they lock up the gmail interface and i can't use gmail i have to use like a separate wow. email client it's insane so yeah everyone knows this process goes to hell pretty quick some people use dropbox to collect files you know if if you are doing that you need some sort of checklist alongside it so a spreadsheet where it's like here's all the things we need put an x in this column when you're done with it and we'll paste in the file name because that's that's the worst if you like upload all your stuff to this folder they you've got no control over what file names they use they'll start uploading all kinds of weird and wacky stuff and you've got to open every file check that it actually meets requirements and then if it's wrong you've got to email them and say hey look we need this thing so i'm not gonna lie that's why we built content snare it tries to wrap all of that up into one system i don't know if how much you want me to talk about content snare here i try not to self-plug too much but yeah i mean it is essentially a, a checklist for clients so you say here's all the information i need whether that's text-based stuff whether it's files images whatever you know and you can constrain things you say i want images that have to be at least a thousand pixels high or, you know which is big in web design you get the logo that's like 14 pixels high and you can't use it um, so yeah it's essentially you know do- accountants use it to collect documents you know they say i need these files from you and it's just one spot really really easy to use system for your clients they go there and they upload the things finish everything like type things in it's all automatically saved as they go so it's not like a form in that you can lose you know if they close that window halfway through they get called away to do something which they will 
at some point, they've lost that work. So, you know, it's just a central place for you and your client to collaborate and get all the information you need from them. We actually just released comments as a feature as well. So if your client's not sure what to do, they can ask you a question right there. Just keeping you out of your inbox, you know. Normally that spawns off yet another email thread. You know, if, if they've uploaded the wrong thing, you hit reject and ask them, what you actually need you know if it's like that you know sorry that logo is too small or whatever you can just type that in it sends out them out an email and and they'll come back in and upload a new version so again just keeping you out of those multi-threaded nightmare emails (laughs) what does that look like it's it's funny to ask that on a podcast but what does that look like from the user perspective so say a content agency a web agency for example they're logging into content snare they're creating a new client, I suppose, and then they're creating a list mm. of things that they need. And for each one, they're setting the parameters like I need it this type yeah. of file and that size. Yeah, I mean, the easiest way to describe it is imagine a, a forms tool, you know, so think type form where, and that, that's actually kind of similar to the way we ask questions. It's like one thing on the screen at a time. So there's a new, we've put a lot of work into making things super easy for clients. In fact, more, most of our time goes there because if things are easy for clients, then you'll get what you need faster. Uh, so we educate, we do a lot of education around how to set up, you know, requests and forms for clients as well. But yeah, technically the easiest way to think about it is like a, a form, like a type form where the form's specific to that client. So everything they type in is saved automatically. Right. And then it sends automatic reminders. Fantastic. Technically, it's the easiest way to think about it. You know, it's like a collaborative form with automatic reminders. So setting it up, it's just like any form. You know, I want a text box here. I want uh, a text box with formatting here so they can put in dot points or whatever. I want two files that are PDFs. Actually, I lie. We, we don't have constraints on file types yet, but that is coming very, very soon, like literally within a couple of weeks, I think. But yeah, so you you know, I want an image that's this big and it guides them through the process. So if they have upload something that's wrong, it tells them what they need to do to, to fix it. Yeah, fantastic. So for the files that you upload, as say the client in this case, to Content Snare, is that stored on the cloud? of the agency account and on something like Google Drive or is it kept only on contents now? Right now, it's just stored on AWS, right? So I'm happy to just share that. The classic cloud hosting, uh, it's on S3. That's where it's accessible, you know, inside Content Snare, of course. However, we are... We've literally just hired someone that's going to be working on integrations pretty much exclusively, and that's going to be able to push files into Google Drive, Dropbox, you know, Box, CRMs as well, potentially Salesforce, HubSpot. Some people, you know, especially accounting, any professional services, they want their documents available inside document management systems or CRMs. So we'll be doing those kind of uploads. However, in the meantime, before we've built all those integrations, people are already doing this with Zapier. Really, really simple. Just saying when a question is completed in Content Snare, upload the file to Google Drive. In fact, I have a YouTube video on it on my personal automation channel as well because it's such a common workflow. Yeah, and we can put a link to that particular video in the show notes as well. Mm -hmm. So taking a step back to this mega internal form, what would you typically put on there? And we can use the example of of a content agency. So would you put... For example, client name, contact email, code, the team members involved, or what would you put on there to start kicking off all those initial automations you mentioned, like the Slack and so on? 
Yeah, I mean, that's so heavily dependent on whoever is creating it. Like, everyone's got their own process here. One's a good use case is options. You know, like, you might have a client that you know is only going to be a small project, like two, three weeks. You don't want to create a Slack channel for them. So you might just have a checkbox that says create Slack channel or not. You know, if you turn it off, it won't. You have, you just in that automation you skip over that step and don't don't create the channel so it's usually just options you know it's rather than you know you might be like especially with productized agency it might be like what kind of project is this and you've only got a handful of selections in a drop down you pick that this is a, a six month four articles per month retainer in the content agency example so you choose that you know from the drop down where you say it's six months and it's four, how many articles per month and then that goes away the automation then you know chooses which template to push out into your project management you know it might set some reminders or whatever for you know month might, might tag them in the crm in your crm to do monthly check-in emails or something slightly customized it, yeah it depends so much on the on the business but yeah it's usually just like configuration so what kind of project is it should we create a slack channel that's really about it it it's something that you're probably going to build on, you know, like when you first do this, it might be really simple. It's just like client name, email, what kind of project. And then a month down the track, you're like, actually, it'd be cool if we set this one thing up as well. You know, we, I don't know, we send a, the next invoice automatically a month later. It's like, oh, okay. But to do that, we need X, Y, Z. So you just add that to the form, you know, so from now on it's it's sorted. That's That's a big thing with automation. You don't need to do it all perfectly the first time. It's quite iterative. You'll you'll learn, you work out new things that you want to do all the time, and, and then you just tweak existing automations. Yeah, that makes sense. You sort of make a, a version one, and then you keep building on it based on yeah. things that have come up during the workflow. Yeah. So, would you, as an example, you would push through this this internal form and then take a link from something like Content Snare and put it into your somewhat templated email back to the client, saying, "Hey, welcome." here's your list of required documents and so on. Yeah. So, I mean, in the content snare example, you probably just leave content snare, do the email. Like you might mention, like you, you'll see another email that comes from content snare. Um, that's where you'll need to log in and well, just click that link and start adding your information. However, that is one thing. Actually, I'm glad you asked that, that a lot of people don't understand or realize is possible with automation is that you actually get information back from each step. Right. So if you said, yeah, when form is submitted, send a content snare, send a request to a client in content snare, the action in Zapier will actually return information about the request that was just created, including that link. Right. So then you could take that link and then say, update the CRM. Because I got a custom field here where that link sits. And so you put the link into your CRM in a custom field with that, that can be used in automated emails that are coming from your CRM, you know, what's another example. So for a proposal signed, you know, when a proposal signed, you might get some information that's like, actually, that's a bad example. It's a trigger, but you know, you might get a link to the PDF or something. So you can, you could upload that PDF to Google drive. So you actually get information back from pretty much every step that happens along the way. And then you can reuse that. You know, another one's a Google Drive folder. That's a good example. So, you know, you create that Google Drive folder for client deliverables or something and then set that to be shared 
automatically. And then that, it'll actually spit that link, the share link back to you right there in the workflow. So then again, you could push that into the CRM. You could send that in an email to the client. Yeah. So getting that information back and using that in subsequent steps is actually a really cool feature that a lot of people don't realize is possible. For the client side, once they see the content snare link or email and they click through and they fill out all the forms and so on, they've completed the total list of requirements. What happens then? Yeah, well, I mean, well, in content snare, it's finished, really. That's it. <laughs> so you can approve that. I mean, that's kind of once you've got everything, you're, you're winning, right? You're, you're absolutely sorted. <laughs> but so the process then might be actually approving things so we do have a system where you go through and you tick off everything that they've uploaded or typed in just to essentially locks it in so when you know it's a pretty common thing in agencies where a client will say they'll try and change something after the fact and say it was always that way it's not that common but it's common enough that it's annoying so you know you can when you approve something it locks it in so they can't change it but you can also reject anything that they have you know, done incorrectly or something that just needs slight changes, you know, like it, maybe their elevator pitch wasn't, I don't know, good enough. So you could just ask them to have another go and send them a link to it, how to write a good elevator pitch, whatever. But then after that, once they've actually finished everything and it's all approved, yeah, you just download it all. So that's our, currently we have an export system where, you know, if it's content, some people like to export to a PDF. I'm not that person. I don't really get it because I'd rather just look through Content Snare itself and you can see all the information there. But if it's like it wants to be printed, you know, some people will actually print out all the content and take it to a client meeting to go over it all. So we have a generate PDF um, of all the information that's been entered into Content Snare and it also download any images and files that they've uploaded separately as well into folders. So it's just like a one-click export to grab everything that that client has provided in one go. Cool. So zooming out a little bit and considering the whole process, uh, do you find that there are some common areas where people go a little bit wrong? Yeah. So I think I kind of briefly touched on it before and it was like over automating, you know, an agency that's doing this is like a handful of projects a month. It's probably not a whole lot of effort, a lot of why would you automate every little piece of the business if it only takes a couple of minutes here and there? Again, unless, you know, task switching is is problematic or, you know, turnaround time. So, so you know, like we were talking about before with proposals, getting that deposit right away can be, can save days of back and forwards on email. But yeah, like I feel like over automating is a big one. You know, some people, once they start on automation, they just want to automate literally everything. And that's, you know, in some circumstances that works, but when, you know, I like being more personal where possible, right? And that's where I sort of, again, touched on that before with semi-automated personalized things, you know, like a, a really good example of this is Bonjoro, which is a, a video app, I guess you would call it, where it allows you to send personal videos to clients or leads or whatever. And so it's an app on your phone and it, so you with Zapier or whatever, and it, you could push in a notification that says, hey, Bob just signed up for this product. And, you know, I do this with my, my Zapier course. When someone signs up for the course, it gives me a notification and it pops up in the app and it says, you know, Bob signed up for your course. You click on that notification. It opens a video recorder. You point it at yourself. You say, thank you. You might personalize it, go to their website and, you know, call out some things. So it's quite personal and then hit send. And that's all you had to do is 30 seconds of work where the automation was automatically dropping that notification into your phone. 
And then once you hit send, it's sending them the email with a link to the video and like a GIF in the email. So encourage them to click it. And if they don't open it, it'll follow up in a few days. You know, all of that's automated. Whereas there's a lot of stuff going on there, but you only did 30 seconds of work. So it's a really good example of sort of assisted automation, like assisted personalization. So, you know, it's also another thing I mentioned before about like creating a draft email. So you can have like most of the email there with an automation, but then you just polish it, add a couple of things and hit send. So that's one thing I think people should keep in mind all the time when they're automating. It doesn't have to be 100% automated. As long as it's saving you a ton of time, you can still keep those elements of personalization in there. Just thought of another, because the question was what mistakes people make with automation. I just thought of a really good one. Uh, and it's it's when they try to outsource at 100%. So I have a lot of people that just try to throw they try to hire someone and say, Hey, can you automate all my stuff? You know, like they have someone on their team. They're like, can you please automate, you know, learn how to use Zapier and automate our business. One of the most important things with automation is having a very detailed understanding of how your business works and your process and your operations. So I think it's actually really important for a business owner to have some level of understanding of automation and not just, you know, trying to outsource it completely. You know, any good automation consultant is going to jump on some pretty lengthy calls with you to step through your process and actually create that flowchart if you haven't created one already. Yeah, so that's that's a big mistake is just trying to throw other people at the problem. Unless they're really high up, you know, they're like a COO or something that has a deep understanding of your business. Yeah, I can definitely agree. A big uh, danger field there. You could end up automating things in a way that doesn't actually reflect how it's done in practice. The person's yeah. not fully aware of how it actually works. I have seen that. <laughs> cool. So once we've got this system set up, do you recommend any particular ways to tune in on the automations or check the performance? You know, would you make sure it's all flow charted and then hmm. you know do random spot checks or send yourself notifications on certain features? Any thoughts around this? Yeah. So improving is kind of the same as before. It's it's something that's going to come with time you'll just naturally come up with ideas as you learn what's possible with automation. And as you notice where it's failing you, you know, or, or you notice that, Hey, why don't we just automate this extra little thing that it comes up over time. You tweak things constantly with automations. It's definitely not fixed. And that's something that should be kept in mind, you know, that it is fluid and you can change it. It's very easy to change an automation at any time to, to adapt it for keeping tabs on it. I definitely think so there's two ways if you're if there's a critical automation and you're really worried that you know it's going to send too many emails or something or whatever you might want to create yourself a notification every time it runs so for example if in an automation you say you know when a proposal signed send an email to the client you might just in that in that example you could just cc yourself on the email so you get it as well or you could create another step in that automation that like drops a notification into a Slack channel. So we use Slack like this quite a lot just as a notification center. So you, un you unsubscribe from those channels so you're not getting constant reminders, but then you can click in there and say, like I might put in a Slack message that said, Bob signed up for the course and received this email or something. It's just something really simple like that. So I can see that this that, that's what happened. It's literally just an activity feed of things happening in Zapier. And then you can have a glance in there and, you know, you could see if someone received the same email three times. <laughs> so that's, you know, that's a good way to keep on top of it, especially if you're worried, you know, you're building a new automation, you're, it's early days, you're not super confident, 
in your own ability or whatever, or you know, you're worried that something might trigger the workflow multiple times, do that. Then you can see it really easily. You can get in there and stop that workflow really quick. The other side is, yeah, like you said, spot checking. So in Zapier, there's the Zap history or task history, and you can just look at a workflow. You can pick a workflow and it'll tell you every time it's run. You know, in the last, I'm supposed to know this because of my Zapier certification program. I think it's 30 days, three months, maybe. I forget. <laughs> it's like 10,000, up to 10,000 task history or three months, whatever comes first. But yeah, you can have a look at all the previous times that workflow has run. And so then you can see if it's running more times than it should, but you can actually, it's really good. You can dig into all the data that went through that workflow. The search is amazing too. So like if you had a client email address, you know, you know, uh, Bob at XYZ.com just signed up, you could take that search and put it into the task history search and it'll show you every time that email has gone through Zapier anywhere. So if there's multiple zaps running that that email's passed through, it'll show you all of that in one spot and that will make it really clear if things are running too many times or whatever. So they're the easiest ways to to keep tabs on on things, make sure things aren't breaking. And yeah, as for improving over time, that's kind of just natural. Yeah. I had not thought of using the search on Zapier, especially with the email. I didn't realize it could collect the whole history of that contact, but that would be oh, it's, very useful. It's an amazing feature that a lot of people don't know about. It's actually one of my biggest gripes with Integromat, which is a Zapier competitor. So it like, like Zapier, you can dig into all the history. Like you can actually go into like, okay, this one, it, this workflow ran here. This is where it stopped. This is the data that flowed through it. That's cool. You can't do it just to at least... I don't think so. You can't do a search for that email address and just see every place it got used, which is dead set one of the best debugging features there is in Zapier. So kind of a bugbear of mine with Integramat. Yeah, makes sense. Really appreciate the insight that you've shared today. Just before we go, for people who want to connect with you and learn more about Content Snare, what's the best way to reach out? Yeah, well, with Content Snare, it's contentsnare.com. A simple, you can get a 14-day trial there. But um, personally, um, probably Twitter. I'm loving Twitter at the moment. I'm underscore Jimmy Rose. Probably shouldn't have put that underscore in there, but yeah, that's how you can find me. <laughs> that's it. With Twitter, you end up with all the, the random numbers yeah. and underscores and so on. Great. Yep. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time, James. Thank you very much. It's been awesome. Awesome chatting with you.